Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Yeah, the advice I give to anybody who wants to be a comic is don't produce any shows. <laughs> I mean, to, 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 to some extent, that's true. Like, I do think that initially when you want to get stage time and like meet people, it's super helpful. Like the first five years of doing comedy in a city, producing shows can be amazing. And it sets you up with, with really good relationships. When people come into town, you meet people, you're just getting more time. You can learn how to host and kind of cut your teeth there. Um, but uh, you know, the longer you produce shows, the more you have to worry about the, the stuff that's not comedy, that's not stand-up. And at a certain point, there's a, there's a law of like diminishing returns with, with producing. Hot breath. All right. Hot breath-averse. Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. Our mission is to help cultivate the next generation of great self-made comics. And our guest today has done that with, at this point, I feel like thousands of comedians and really just a trailblazer in the comedy, not only entertainment space and marketing space, but in the business side. And I'm so excited. I've been a fan of this man and his work for many years, and we're excited to have him here on Hot Breath to share the sauce on how Don't Tell Comedy grew into becoming, I would say, the most disruptive comedy production business in the game. Really um, really putting the comedy clubs on their toes in a lot of ways, I'll say, which is what we're hoping to do here as well at Hot Breath. So please welcome to the show the one and only Kyle. Oh, gosh. I'm going to mess it up. I'm so sorry. No, I, I got No, I got this. I got this. Kyle Kazanjan Amory. Perfect. Yes. Nailed it. Yes. Awesome. All right. So we did it. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great intro. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a fan of your work. And really just to, to jump headfirst into it, like to start a comedy show, if like there's a comic listening to this that wants to start their own comedy show, what would be kind of your like first step advice for them? Yeah. Find a space, find a, find a, find a cool spot that um, would work well for a show. The way I did it was just walking around different neighborhoods and initially before don't tell, just looking for bars, looking for places that had like a private area, something with like limited distractions where you can fit anywhere from like 30 to 50 people. Um, and then yeah, find the owner and talk to him and see if he'll let you put on a show. So when, when you're looking at a venue, there is there is there like a checklist of like, do they have their own sound? I, I saw I've heard you say like low ceilings and things like that, like for just for a comic who has no idea like where to begin. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's so many different little things that you learn over time that make a big difference. Um, and what we do with Don't Tell is we bring stand up comedy into spaces that wouldn't ordinarily have comedy or any events for that matter, um, untraditional spaces like rooftops or art galleries, other local businesses. Um, what's nice is the businesses end up becoming a blank canvas for us. So we bring in all of our own equipment, chairs, PA system, lighting. So we can set it up in a way that we feel like works best for the actual show. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, 
ideally you have a place that has low ceilings because with really high ceilings, the laughter isn't, isn't trapped and the noise kind of escapes. The, the laughter just kind of dissipates. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to build momentum uh, when you don't have good like acoustics. Um, uh, that being said, like there's a lot of great outdoor venues that weirdly work like so well for, for a comedy show. And, uh, and just the setting, I think the overall setting for the show is important too, creating a good atmosphere. Yeah, and that's something we just had. Her name's uh, Eva Alexopoulos, and she's a comic up in Montreal who started her own like production company and is like throwing like the top shows in the city now. And her whole thing was experience. You've got to create an experience for people. So, and don't tell. I mean, we'll get into the branding and the marketing side of it, which is everything's so well buttoned up. But like for that experience aspect of it, what, what kind of advice do you have there? Yeah. I mean, that, to it'll, it'll meld into the marketing conversation, but I really truly feel like the best thing you can do is just put on an amazing experience that will force people to tell their friends about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like give, give people the best night of comedy that they've seen or the best night that they've uh, experienced. And um, that will be your marketing. It's the cheapest way to, um, get the word out is word of mouth. Um, just, just putting on a really good show with great comics, with a good setup, with interesting venues. Um, everything's important. And even just building relationships with, with people, whether it's the venues or even talking to people after the show, the experience is so, so important. So from the very beginning, um, it was, it was important that we had a very personal touch to the whole experience. Yeah. I love, I love that phrase, force people to tell their friends. Do you, have you found any like best practices for like encouraging word of mouth or like giving people an incentive to like either get their email or to bring a friend? Like, cause all that can come off a little, like, I don't know. It can come off a little icky sometimes if you're like, sign up for my email or I don't know. It's kind of like an organic way to do it, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but for us, the nice thing is you, well, you have to kind of, be on the email list to find out about um, certain shows. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get updates on where we're at, because um, we're bouncing around to different neighborhoods, you really need to get on the email list. Um, I think one thing that I did early on that was really helpful is just building like a very basic website where like even people getting tickets, they had to, you can do it through Squarespace. It's very cheap. Um, uh, you have people go through the process of checking out and then you get your, their email is automatically on your email list. Um, but you can, you know, you can always do things like giveaways at shows for people to write down their emails or try and come up with some sort of like referral system. We're like currently working on building out something that's a little bit more, um, efficient with that on like the, the tech side of things so that we can like track. If you come to five shows, then you get, you know, a free ticket. Or if you refer five friends, you get two free tickets to a show and just have that kind of automated. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And you do all your own ticketing or do you use like Eventbrite or something like that? Yeah. So I, we did our own, we started with our own ticketing, just run through uh, Squarespace and you can just, you can set up a store on Squarespace so that you're basically selling products, but tickets and you collect emails. So for the longest time before we built out our own system for ticketing and built out our own like custom website, um, we were manually just copy and pasting all the emails of everybody who had gotten tickets and sending out an email, just like BCCing everybody um, that way, Mm. uh, which was so annoying and time consuming. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then people would hit us. I didn't get the email because it was going to spam because we were sending too many like uh, BCCs. It's a whole process, but 
now we have a system. We've built our own system, so it's automated. Uh, when you go with Eventbrite, which is a good solution and does does help, uh, you have to deal with like their fees and stuff, which I didn't really um, love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I currently use is Eventbrite. Yeah, yeah, which oh. is great. Yeah, and we're we're like actually doing both. So we'll, we'll we're building something right now where all of our shows will automatically be listed on Eventbrite because it's a great free marketing tool. It just shows up on Eventbrite if people are looking through. Right. Yeah. So um, selfishly, I will ask um, uh, a question. I, I've currently just uh, started like my own live production company. I call it the Feel Good Funny Club, and I currently run two shows uh, at two separate breweries and two different uh, like smaller cities outside of Atlanta. And right now um, I had like 50 people and then I had like 30. And then this last one I had like 35 and then, and people are coming back, which is nice. Um, That's great. And the other, they're both, both shows are kind of performing the same, which is interesting. We were kind of like at 50 and then we dipped a little bit and it's kind of, but um, it's super new. I, I'm producing two shows. The vision is to be producing five and honestly becoming kind of like um, a resource of entertainment for like a company to be like, oh, we want to have a feel good, funny party or like I want to have a feel good, funny family reunion or whatever. Like really start to build communities one laugh at a time is what I like to say. So it's it's early, but I would love kind of like your thousand foot view, knowing what you know with what you've built, like maybe what are some things I can be doing now to set the foundation to like build a successful production company? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, like one thing that is definitely helpful right off the bat is taking really good pictures of, of the shows, which you can use um, not only just in general for like posting on, on Instagram and stuff, but like running, running Facebook and Instagram ads uh, still is like one of the main ways. Like that's, that's where we spend the majority of our marketing oh. dollars. Um, I think people are more on Instagram now than Facebook and it's difficult to figure out sometimes what, what actually, um, is working, but the way somebody told me one thing in terms of marketing, which it sounds like the question is mainly about like, how do I build a consistent audience? I think yeah. you're, it sounds like you're doing all the right things around putting on good shows. People will come back, hopefully tell their friends you can get the brewery to promote. That's great. Um, but like, if you're spending money on marketing, somebody said this at like some conference I went to is like, don't spend a dollar today that doesn't inform a dollar tomorrow. So if you can get data on like what is working rather than just like throwing money into the ether and, and just kind of guessing as to what's working, which is hard, right? Like it, it's, we still like sometimes struggle with figuring out what works. Um, but like Facebook and Instagram, like everything's run through Facebook. They do have good tools that show you like which ones are working. And so when you're running ads on there, just testing things is always the best, the best like strategy, test a couple different pictures, one with a comic and an audience, one of just the comic, um, seeing which one performs better, testing different copy. Does it perform better if you say like um, somebody's name, if you have a, a comic in town who's more notable mm-hmm. or it does it, does it perform better if you say like, you know, come, come have a fun date night, like uh more focusing on the experience. So testing different things on the marketing front, you will have to spend a little bit of money, but I mean, you can, you can see what's working and if it doesn't work after a few times, like switch what you're switch up, what you're doing. 
So for your Facebook and Instagram ads, it's more of just like high quality photos versus like video. Yeah, we have not run any ads with video yet, which I think some people would say is a big mistake. <laughs> and uh, to them, I say, you may be right. <laughs> and we're working <laughs> on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have such good photos. And I think with video, with stand-up, it's like if you're running an ad off of a joke, it's weird because you're just showing one comedian. And our whole MO is like secret comics. You don't know who's going to perform, but you know it's going to be good. Um, so for us, I almost think that pictures, uh, do a better job of encapsulating like the experience that you can expect when coming to one of our shows. Mm -hmm. Having said that I am working with my team to try to cut together some more like experience based videos that we can test and just even see if it works or, or doesn't work and then just change what we do depending on, on, on what's, um, giving us more bang for our buck. Oh yeah. And Bobby just said, I've. Thank you. I've tried to tell a few big names this, but they tend to blankly trust that it's on a social media platform. So it's automatically successful. Not necessarily so. Yeah. And you can like market to market. We even see like Facebook and Instagram ads suck in New York City, but they're really good in other markets that don't have as many options. So it, it, it really depends where you're at. And there's no like one size fits all. There's no like one solution. Um, so in Atlanta, like you know, we've seen what even what pictures work in Atlanta versus what pictures work in San Diego. We're not going to necessarily do a picture of a show with a palm tree in the background in for a New York City show. Uh -huh. Like it, it just some things don't make sense or maybe it does make sense. Maybe it catches people's attention and they don't care. So yeah. anyways, all, all that's to say, just like, you know, test test things out and like trust in the data that you get. Yeah, the, the most I've, I've used uh, bitly links to like track how many clicks each one is getting. Um, yeah. But gosh, yeah. At some point it's like, I'm a comedian. I just want to be funny. And then you're like, oh, you want to run a show. It's a whole other job you have to learn. <laughs> yeah. The advice I give to anybody who wants to be a comic is don't produce any shows. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to, 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 to some extent that's true. Like I do think that initially when you want to get stage time and like meet people, it's super helpful. Like the first five years of doing comedy in a city producing shows can be amazing and it sets you up with, with really good relationships. When people come into town, you meet people, you're just getting more time. You can learn how to host and kind of cut your teeth there. Um, but uh, you know, the longer you produce shows, the more you have to worry about the, the stuff that's not comedy, that's not stand up. And at a certain point, there's a, there's a lot of like diminishing returns with, with producing. <laughs> that's hilarious i was like yeah i'm trying to produce more shows you're like well my advice to people who want to be comedians <laughs> you well know, that's that you can do both though like there's different paths like i've For carved sure. my own path and, and this is what i was trying to be a comic when i started and then it just kind of translated into this other route where i'm like oh i love this as well i want i'm going to do this now mm -hmm. um in, there's there's plenty of successful people who are producing shows and performing and that's a great path to go around but if, to go down but if you want to be Sebastian Mascalco, uh, you know, selling out theaters, uh, it may not be the best use of, of time. Yeah, just, it, just my, just my opinion. Oh, I agree. Oh no, I, I, I agree. Now that I'm producing too, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm not even thinking like a comedian. I'm like trying to figure out marketing. <laughs> how can I, how can I sell more than 12 tickets for my show tomorrow? That's where my brain oh, yeah. is right now. Or 13. Dude, I don't want to brag. 13. <laughs> up to 13 
I would have been thrilled to get 13 tickets to a lot of my shows early on that I produced before Don't Tell. Even in the early days of Don't Tell, like you, you just grind, you hit up everybody you know, you try to get people to come out, you have to like rely on friends and friends of friends for a little bit, and then hopefully you're able to build enough of an audience where you don't need to, you know, beg people to come out and see your show. What What is like one of your worst bombs of producing a show? Is there one that like... I mean... There's, I mean, worst bombs performing. I did a show in uh, <laughs> in LA where the show was the comics all brought something and gave it away. Like you, you lose. Not only you don't get paid, but you have to give something away in order to perform on a show. And there was literally nobody in the audience when the when the uh, when the host started, and I ended up going up first. And there were like two homeless guys that came in and started watching, and that was. That that was fun, <laughs> and that was like I got booked on that. That wasn't an open mic. Oh, a book! What, your face <laughs> yeah. on a flyer and everything. If, oh, if you want L, a, a, a kind of look into LA comedy, that is uh, why you don't start here. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, in terms of producing, what before Don't Tell, I did a show in like Culver City at this kind of rooftop, um, and it was just like is anybody going to show up? I have no idea. It's a free show. And we're, people are saying they're going to come, but you, you never know. Uh, and that's one thing I learned too, is like when you're running a free show, I think it's, I think it's, you're less likely to bring people out for, to a free show. I mm. think a paid show, it probably depends, but a paid show is nice because it locks people into coming. And if people are paying for a ticket, they feel more invested in seeing the show so they're better audience members yep. we initially didn't didn't charge for tickets and then after four shows we had to start charging because we had like 200 rsvps to a show that was at somebody's parking lot that could fit 50 people and we're freaking out uh because you know if everybody showed up you know the cops are coming for sure wow <laughs> and uh luckily in la everyone flakes uh and it was a <laughs> It was a free show. So only 50 people or 60 people came and it was, it was packed, but it wasn't a problem. Then it was like, all right, we got to start charging purely just to control the capacity. And then it really locks people into coming. So 40 people get tickets. Like, you know, the worst you'll maybe do is 35. Gotcha. Oh, and, um, Ben, let's see. Oh, Bobby asked, what about 10 to 15 second video snippets, like showing a one-liner, being performed at the venue I'm promoting with pics of like the audience venue, drink food, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think something like that. I mean, again, like you, the, the key is just to test things. If you mm -hmm. think something might work, it's always worth testing it. Um, I would just say that like for Instagram, TikTok, and uh, Facebook, like the, the expectation of quality is so much higher now because phones can film in 4k um, and like, stuff is cheaper even though like like camera equipment is still expensive um you just need to make sure it's really good quality i think that's that's the key yeah your yeah your video production quality is insane like it's i mean it, it is like you're watching like netflix or something like it's you can tell that you really pay attention to not only the quality of your show and experience but that production side the videos are incredible Thanks, man. Yeah, we worked really hard on that. And like, we, we filmed our first comedy special before the pandemic with uh, Danny Jollis uh, called Six Parts and, and put it out through his YouTube channel. Um, super proud of that. And we actually just taped uh, our first two 
um, shows as a part of like a digital series that we're going to be releasing starting in the new year. Yeah. So like the, the level of quality is about to get even better. Um, and I think, uh, you know, with, with comedy central, I'm not sure exactly what they're going to be doing this next year, but it seems like they're probably putting out less, less stuff. And Netflix is only like kind of doing stuff with celebrities at this point. Um, it feels like there's, there's an opportunity to help like, uh, empower like the next generation of comics kind of I, the way I think about don't tell is we kind of like are all for lifting up the middle class of comedy. Yeah. It's like the people who are really, really good. Um, but you don't know them yet, but you will know them in five years. And that's like what, that's our, our sweet spot. And so any way that we can provide value in that space, um, I try and, I try and like really like put some resources towards that. So for the video production, um, it's incredibly expensive. Uh, the, the quality seems to, even sometimes with big networks, they don't mic the audiences very well. They don't do some things that are very frustrating to watch as a viewer. And so we're just trying to solve those things um, and feature comedians from all over the country. So we're not just going to be doing this in, in LA and New York. That's so are you, are you saying don't tell more is like a media company now? Like what, what are you, what are you doing over there? What's going on yeah, over there? We, we got some big plans. <laughs> I, I cannot, you know, sit still and do the same thing over and over again. So like, I'm just constantly trying to think of ways we can keep growing this in, in ways that like are helpful. Like that is the North star for me is like, how I gonna say it again, like how can we provide value to this comedy community um, and do it like all over the country and fix things that are broken. Like for live shows, after doing some of these shows that I'm sure you've done as well, like in bars where it's super distracting, uh, only five out of the 20 people there are even there to see the show. Mm -hmm. Like we wanted to create an experience where everybody is engaged, focused on the comedy. Um, and so it's just like the best possible experience. So we've done that and we feel like we do it very well across a lot of cities. And so the whole like kind of comedy special space now we feel like can be improved. And so we're spending time kind of like working on that, but I don't see us as uh, a media company. Like we're building out the production side of things, but part of the benefit of that is if we build a bigger online audience, we can then expand to more cities. So if we can go from 45 to hundred cities in the next year um, and, you know, kind of these digital things that we're working on, if those can help like act as marketing tools for, um, for like just that expansion, then great. Like that's, that would be awesome. Are you uh, looking to dip your toe into like an agency space to help usher these comics along? That's a complicated one. And people always ask like management or agent, like, I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's something like we've thought about, but, but to be honest, like, I'm more interested in, in like seeing if we, how we can impact comedians to grow their careers independently, like outside of the traditional systems. Cause I think a lot of the traditional systems don't work very well. Like, you know, I can rant about this all day, but like, you know, a late night set doesn't mean as much as it did back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like when you're on Johnny Carson back in the day, there's your career. Like you, you just did something that is going to change your career. You do Conan now, or I mean, not anymore, but like, it's a really great achievement. It's an incredible milestone in your career. And it's an awesome thing to point to and be like, I, I did that. 
but in terms of helping you tour, I don't know if it does, it does much. Like, I don't know if it does as much as like creating consistent, like uh, even producing your own standup clips that maybe one goes viral. Um, so those things are still really cool and almost like a, a nice badge uh, mm. as a comic. Like that's, that's what I look at it as, but there's so many different routes now. And I think that what you're doing and what we're trying to do is like help people to try to figure that out on their own. And then managers and agents when they're needed can become a resource. Um, but uh, I don't know how much value uh, agents and managers actually like kind of provide early in people's, in, in people's careers. Yeah. You've seen so many people climb that ladder of like independent success. Like, is there a trait that they all have, or is there something that you're seeing with this independent success, which, you know, me doing comedy almost 12 years, I'm still seeking and everyone listening to this is seeking. So like the people you've seen actually break through into that independent success, like what, what have, what have you learned from their moves or whatnot? Yeah, I think it's like, I think you overestimate what you can do in a day and you underestimate what you can do in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same goes for one to five years. So we're constantly feeling like we should have done more day to day. Yeah. Um, but over the long haul, I think little things make a huge difference. So whether it's even just getting up and getting on stage, like the impact of getting more comfortable on stage, if you're, if you're starting out, like going up every night, a couple times a night, if possible, like that, just doing that over time will help. Um, and the same goes for like now releasing like clips on your Instagram or, or TikTok and, and, and stuff. Like, I think most people hate doing that and I get it and I don't necessarily love it either. Um, but it does seem to be helpful to some comics. It does seem to be, to be pretty helpful. And I, I think what I've seen is that the attention to detail and the attention to quality making sure that you're doing it right um, goes a long way. Cause like the, the subconscious scroll, when somebody comes across like one of your videos and stuff, you want them to stop and be like, Oh, I'm going to watch this. Cause I know that this person puts out good work. So it doesn't even mean needing to put something out every day. Like I think quality over quantity. Um, but like, you know, making sure that uh, you're able to do stuff that's consistent. The, the other thing I will say on that, and I, not to get too in the weeds, but I think for the first few years of comedy, like I would, I, I definitely like would encourage people to not put out anything and just focus on getting better at standup. Um, and like, that's advice that I would, that I would give myself back when I was doing standup is like, just, just go and do standup as, as much as you can. And then after a few years, you know, maybe that, then you can start thinking about like posting, posting some stuff. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just interviewed a club owner who affectionately described his club as, you know, a restaurant with a stage, which I know, yeah, you love as an independent comedy show producer. That's the mindset of most clubs, though, is it is. It's a restaurant with a stage, you know, and we're just here to sell it's, chicken wings. It's so funny, man. Yeah, like people, people say comedy is the business of selling drinks. And what we're doing is we're, we're the business of selling an experience. So I think it's a very different, it's a very, like, good distinction. And that's why I don't ever think that we're competing with comedy clubs. Like when you said at the beginning, like disrupting like the comedy world and like uh, comedy clubs should be on their toes. 
I really believe that comedy clubs have nothing to be worried about. In fact, they should be thankful that people like, you know, that are doing independent shows, not just us, but like everybody who's doing independent shows are doing them because you want everyone who comes to a comedy show for their first time to have a good experience. And we're doing that. And so we're bringing people into the fold. And so I would, I would argue that we're actually increasing like the market for comedy and, and comedians. Um, and like more people will go to clubs that come to our shows. We get a ton of people that come and it's their first time ever seeing a show and they have a great time. So I, I would say comedy clubs have nothing to be worried about. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm quitting podcasting. This is the last one. <laughs> I was able to pronounce your name right, and then I got that. Oh, oh, they said word. People, people really like that. Yeah. It's a, that's the thing is about like comedy, and like I'm always happy to talk to people when they want to talk about like producing shows or want tips on marketing. Like I feel like we have nothing to hide, and like we're not like nothing's a secret. Um, we all want like everyone to rise and we want comedy to be bigger. And it's very like, like we partner with local shows in different cities to help bring in headliners from out of town. Like, because everyone benefits the better the experience for everyone, like the better everyone's going to do, the more tickets everyone's going to sell. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a zero sum game mm -hmm. um, at all. Uh, so that's just kind of like my kind of mindset. I love it. Yeah. No scarcity mindset here. No. I love that. Uh, ben asks, uh, what is a venue or type of venue that surprised you the most and how well it worked? And what is one that would you would like to try to make better? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, yeah, there's, it's so, you know what I'll say is outdoor shows got a bad rap before the pandemic. And we did quite a few like outdoor shows. And there are genuinely some outdoor shows that I think are weirdly for whatever reason, like hotter in terms of like crowds uh, and like the experience than, than an indoor show. Uh, mm. It's, it's just so random. Sometimes like there's, we just did a taping at uh, this venue in Santa Barbara and an outdoor show that has like walls around does help acoustically. Um, and I think the experience makes everybody so much more excited that it just results in a great great show so some of the outdoor shows i would say it will like vastly exceed my expectations i always expect the shows to be good but sometimes they're just like on another level we've also done some shows in people's living rooms that have been some of my favorite shows <laughs> like we've done we i remember there's one show we did in in la it was like early on it was in uh it was in a friend somebody i went to college with it was like their girlfriend's living room and it was 35 people and we had like Deborah Di Giovanni and Jesus Trejo and Fakim Anwar on the show. Like this was back in 2017. Wow. And it was like one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> it was, it was insane. And then I'll tell you like some venues that haven't worked as well has been a venue where we arrive and they tell us, Oh yeah, all these lights, they're emergency lights and they don't turn off. Oh. <laughs> and we're like, you gotta be kidding me. So <laughs> That's that's um that's added been added to the checklist for like producers to kind of just like gauge, like okay, like can these lights turn off or is this going to be an issue? Um, sometimes it doesn't affect the show as as much, but but like truly, comedy is better when it's when it's darker, and that's another tip for just producing shows is like try and get a decent spotlight. Um, we just upgraded uh, 
this year and it's it's made a big a big difference what do you know what kind you use do you remember yeah you? there's a there's a bunch of different ones the one that we've got is like a, a godox led light mm -hmm. um there's a few different versions you can get but i would i would get one where you can change the color temperature on it um and you can change like the how strong it is you can dim it and there's some they're they're like anywhere from like two to six hundred dollars so they can get really expensive but they're great they're durable you don't need to put these little clamp lights from home depot like you know uh two feet from the stage which is like oh how we God. start how we started <laughs> oh, i was about to say that's literally what um actually i'm bringing in a dj tomorrow who has their own lights um but nice. be before this i was using one of those clamp lights like two feet away from you that just washes you out i mean they're great i i will <laughs> i i'm very thankful I'm very thankful for the little lights. Everybody always makes the joke that it looks like, you know, like a chicken, like a rotisserie chicken or something, one of those heat <laughs> yeah. lamps. And yeah, it's yeah. like, damn, that's, it always gets a big laugh when people say that. Um, but yeah, those are, those are awesome. And they're very versatile because we do a lot of different spaces, but having a light where you don't have to put it so close to the stage and you can get like a spotlight. Um, so the light isn't dispersed and all over the crowd. Mm -hmm. It does have an impact on, on the show, I think. Yeah, how many how many lights do you use? Because they always look well lit. Yeah, I mean, when we're filming, we typically have two. So we have cross lighting. But at a lot of our shows, with these better lights, you can get away with just doing one. Um, I think two is two is always preferred. Uh, you don't have to deal with like shadows and stuff as much um, directly behind the comic. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. And then when we do these like when we do these productions. Um, we have like a, a DP that comes in with like these insane different lights that up the production value gotcha. a ton. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 The production's crazy. How, how important is, um, and I was just pulling up those lights too, just to see, um, how important on like the branding side and specifically maybe like when you're trying to build an audience, like I'm looking, there's so many shows here in Atlanta and they're like in Atlanta, you know? So I'm looking at these peripheral cities that are vibrant, small towns, but don't have comedy. So I'm really looking to tap into these untapped markets, but I thought it would be a no brainer, but it, it still is like a process of like getting people out. So what is, when it comes to the branding of the show and feel good, funny, like, and maybe market research, do you look into like specific areas and towns and look at demographics or like that then does that appeal to like the overall brand of uh don't tell you know how do you to kind of almost design that yeah it is sometimes strange like what what locations what neighborhoods do really well and which ones uh which ones just kind of fall short and like you know for instance in la we do a ton of shows in venice santa monica because there's no comedy clubs there really there's actually there's the west side of comedy comedy theater which is an amazing club but um you know it's not hollywood where you have four clubs on the same street basically mm -hmm. um and you know the valley has been, been tougher for us we'll do stuff occasionally there so that's something we're still figuring out and like as we're like going to think about expanding to different cities that is something i want to pay attention to of like trying to identify like what what is what are the key attributes that um are indicative of like a city that's ripe for comedy because i think what you're saying is exactly right like hit them where they ain't like go to go to places where there's not options for comedy 
but may, my guess is because there's not options for comedy, people aren't thinking about it. So you just need to get them to think about it and let them know that it's going to be happening. I think consistency of shows can be important. So people know, I was always told, and I don't, I don't even really know if this is right or wrong, but I was always told either do monthly or weekly. <laughs> don't do anything in between because uh -huh. um, it's confusing. Uh, I like, I like the way that sounds. I don't know if it's, if it's true or not. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's a good it's a good thing to think about like you know if you're doing a, a town that doesn't have a lot of younger people then like maybe facebook is better than instagram to advertise on um mm. and like i would say you know in those markets a lot of places have like event listings and uh little blogs that say here's fun things to do in this area try and find the people that write those articles write a very nice email inviting them out to a show, not asking them to promote first. Mm. Have them come out to a show, give them a few free tickets. And then uh, once they see the show, hopefully they like it. And then they'll be like, I'd love to write something about this. Um, that's, that was, that's part of our like kind of strategy in, in some cities. Nice. Oh, nice. And um, oh, Bobby said, can we audition for your organization? Yeah, we do. We have a we have like a submission link, which you know, we've built this new website. So we're trying to get all the systems like to make this as as like easy as possible. We do have a submission thing on our website and it does like send an automatic email to our producers in that city. Um, so if you submit through there, I mean, that's that's the best way. Or if, if you like, you know, find the person who's producing shows, um, in one of these cities, like I would encourage people just to go hang out too. Like that's something that a lot, some comics do really well, not just at our shows, but at other shows, like just go hang out and like check out the show, meet the people in person. Cause it's much better to meet somebody in person than just to kind of like blindly um, send something. And then if you're reaching out to, to somebody, I would just like make sure that you have like a, a tape that looks good and sounds good. Sometimes audio is even more important than video. Um, cause I, I have a hard time if somebody sends something to me and I, and I don't know them in the first like five seconds, I can tell it's just going to be like it, the comedy could be great, but the audio and video are like trash. Mm. Then I'd like probably, I probably want to watch it. Ooh, yeah, that's a good note for people looking to submit tapes anywhere to a festival or anything. Make sure. Yeah. You can see yeah, it yeah. and hear it clearly. Yeah. I, I don't book like the nice thing too, is a lot of people do hit me up. Like I don't book the shows. Um, like we have producers in every city that are, that are local and know the scenes and stuff. Um, so that's, that's nice. I'm sure you as a booker have had the experience <laughs> of getting count, countless DMS. Oh, oh, it's not. That's all people want now is like, anytime someone comes up and talks to you at a show, they're just waiting to ask when they can get yeah. on your show. How are you doing, Joel? Yeah. Yeah. When, when are you going to hook me up? It's like, all right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Good to see you too. Yeah, exactly. So genuine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy. I mean, I was just at a point like pre pandemic, I was on the road a lot and 2020 is going to be my busiest, busiest year on the road. And then all that stopped. And then the road is starting to slowly come back some, but it's also like, you need to produce shows to like, you know, pay mortgage. So my wife doesn't make me go back to enterprise rent a car. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel the same way about, uh, working in accounting. Uh, it's one of the biggest motivators is not wanting to go back and work a job you hate. <laughs> well, you were like a forensic accountant. Like you were like deep in it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like it though, like from the beginning, you know, six months, six months after you have the honeymoon phase of like, oh, this is really fun learning all these new things. And right. I can now, you know, write four different Excel formulas. It's like, all right, this actually isn't fun <laughs> and I need to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so when, oh, and Bobby followed up with how, how long of a reel are you looking for? for oh, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I would say like, I'd say you could send something that's like five minutes and, and it's, it's like uh, that's a good length. Like, I don't know, like, especially because people bookers are getting hit up a lot. I'd be curious to hear other people's perspective on this. that actually book like more shows. I'm probably not even the best, per I'm not, I'm definitely not the best person to ask about this, but um, yeah, I don't think anybody would watch a tape. That's like 10 minutes. I think people are looking for the first like minute to be good. And then they'll watch, a few more minutes um i could be but again i could be way off and it's probably different depending on the shows right like if you're looking to get booked at a festival or a club that's probably way different like if you're looking to get booked as a, as, at a club for a certain length set then you probably do want to send something a little bit longer but i just make sure that first part really uh is is like uh is solid so plan out your set and do you know some of the material that really hits up top yeah, and I do uh, like five minutes is what I typically like. A five minute nice. set is good enough. Yeah, you get a good feel for him for that. Um, Mitt asked, "What is your process for finding producers out of town that you can trust?" Yeah, a lot of it has been referrals. So, like uh, most, I would say over half, definitely, of our producers are comics and. They're people that have been referred by other comics that I trust. Um, but then we also do have people reach out sometimes for new cities. I'm talking with a guy in Columbus um, tomorrow um, who reached out and, and then he was like, you know, somebody else vouched for him. Like I looked at his mutual friends. I hit one of the people up. I was like, hey, do you know this guy? And you think he'd be a good fit? And they're like, yeah, he'd be great. And so I was like, oh, cool. So that's, that's like the first step. And then I usually talk to people and set up a Zoom call um if if like uh if it seems like it could work um and then we do have like we do have producers that don't perform too and so if somebody's newer there have been instances where somebody's a producer at first and they're not performing but they're running the shows and then after they do comedy for a couple of years you know we're able to mix them in and 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 get them uh on stage so what is let, let's get into the business side of this a little bit because like there, there's like one way to drive income with ticket sales, but it's not like, like these aren't 500 people at the show. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're saying 50 or 60 people and you're paying comics and you're paying for production and all of this, it's like, what it, what is kind of like the business model behind all this? Because at the scale that you're operating, I, I mean, it's, it's very impressive. So it's like, it seems to be more going on than just like, oh, we're just going to reap ticket sales. Yeah. Yeah. We've done like m most of it is ticket sales. Like we do enough shows like that. That's, you know, um, that that's really helpful during the pandemic. I will say like one of the things that, that came through is like these corporate events mm -hmm. that's been really helpful. Um, I, I think a lot of comics like, you know, survived the pandemic from doing like virtual corporate events. Some people, you know, their careers took off uh, because they, they were so good at, at doing like those types of, of events. Um, so yeah, ticket sales, we started doing um, some sponsorships too. So we've had, you know, incorporating whether it's like a drink sponsor or, 
you know, somebody who wants to come up and set up, set up a booth and promote their business. Um, we started tapping into that a little bit. Um, but that's like mainly what we're doing so far. All the production stuff is like a marketing expense to me. So it's not something that we're, we're like, we're not, we're not looking to like make a ton of money off of producing content. Like we're just, we're trying to create really talent friendly deals. And the value to us is we can, um, put out really good stuff that promotes our live shows. So then we don't need to spend as much on like Facebook and Instagram, but there's, you know, there's a lot of expenses that go into putting on the shows like every, well, first of all, like every comic that performs on our shows is getting paid, which is super important um, to me, especially starting out as a comic when you don't get paid hardly ever. Right. Um, and then the producers running the shows uh, you know, we always have ad costs for, for shows and stuff like that. Um, and then like when you build like we're big enough to the point where you know, we had to get insurance and now you're talking about an annual policy and like figuring out that. And, and there's all these like added expenses that come along. Like, you know, if your email list is X amount, then all of a sudden you're paying $300 a month for MailChimp. It's, it's crazy. Um, so, so yeah, the way that we survive is by doing more shows and luckily we've been able to increase capacity. So like our average show size went from like 40 people back in 2018 to like 60, 70 people now. Oh, um, nice. yeah. And we have, we have some shows like the biggest shows we've done Atlanta. We had a 300 person show. Um, and then we've had a few that are around that amount. Um, and every weekend we usually have a couple that are, that are like over a hundred. Yeah. Cause I think at one time you were doing like 35 shows in a weekend across the country or something like that. Yeah. That was close to the most we ever did. I wow. think we were averaging probably closer to 20, but there was one weekend where I think it was a weekend when we did like a mini festival in Boston and we had like eight shows over one weekend, just, just in that city alone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We had close to like 35 and like to go back to something I said earlier, that was at a time when we were doing a lot of these things manually. And so even sending out the reveal email of where the day of the show at noon, we send out an email that says, here's the secret location. That was all manual. Uh, process and now thank god we have uh <laughs> we've built some systems where that stuff's automated you don't know how annoying my life was for for like four years where every uh saturday and friday uh we have a, a slew of emails coming in saying i didn't get the address or you know i didn't you know where is this and, and it would just be a full day of responding even at the show i'd be responding to a something in in uh in atlanta or like you know, I'd be on the East Coast and responding to something from the West Coast. And we have a team of people that are also very, very happy that we no longer have to do that manually. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, everything, like, my whole thing is, like, with what we're doing, like, reinvest and, and keep on, on like, doing things that add value. Like, you know, trying to, trying to like, expand our impact um, that, we, that we have on the comedy community. And so, like whatever ways we can do that. Like now it's with the production stuff. Just, just re keep reinvesting in what you're doing to, to keep growing. What are some things comics should reinvest into the experience of their shows? I think the, I think the equipment and stuff is one, is one thing. Like it depends how consistently you're doing shows and what types of venue, but that's certainly something that, that can make a difference. Um, if you're doing independent shows and you have to bring all your stuff, just like making sure you have a good PA system and, and like a good light um, or a couple lights and then like chairs, the secret, to, uh, the, the bane of our existence. And also something that's been really helpful is these uh, Ikea sells some chairs that are like seven ninety nine, and they're very light, but 
I think everyone who's produced a show for us will say that they are, are such a pain, especially <laughs> as we do as we do bigger shows. Like I was back in Boston this summer and I was my brother uh, runs our shows out there. He's not a comic, but uh, his friend has a pickup truck. So we'd load like 100 chairs into, the, into a pickup truck and be it, just so annoying. But it's important. It is important. It does, it's better than people sitting on the floor, like truly. Yeah. Mm hmm. And are, are you rent like these venues? Are you renting or are they getting like a cut of the door or how, how does that work? Yeah, it depends. Like we have a lot of good partnerships with different locations. So like we'll do some sort of exchange where if, if, uh, if it's like a, you know, a membership type community will offer free admission to their members or like a discounted rate in exchange for offering up their space, mm. um, which is actually a great way of getting people to come to the show. Like as you start out, like, Oh, we'll give you 10 free tickets that we were hoping to sell anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it is helpful um, and people really appreciate that. If it is an event space, then that makes their money off of like hosting events, then, then there is like a rental fee. Um, so it just depends on the type of space. Gotcha. But yeah, we always, we also always want the relationship to be like mutually beneficial. So if it's a local business, like, and we can bring people into their store and people can shop around for 30 minutes before the show. I remember we did a show like in, uh, Mar Vista and like this clothing store, they end up selling like $300 worth of stuff. Like after the show, it was great. Very nice. Uh, Bobby. Oh, it looks like, it looks like Mitt just came in late and he's like asking a bunch of questions. Um, but, uh, she asked what price tends to sell the most and how does a small show producer best pay her performers? Um, yeah. So day of the week, I think is important. Um, if you're doing shows like Monday through Thursday, you may want to do a, a lower price. And then it also depends like the comics like that you're booking and like also like what other shows are charging in that city. We charge $25. Um, and I think that that is, I think it's a great deal when you put it up against comedy clubs with similar price tickets and then it's $10 a drink, like for Miller Lite. Like it's great. It's just crazy that the two drink minimum isn't it's still insane to me but i know that that's part of the business mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i think weekends compare it with other shows that you feel like you're on the same wavelength with and, and like we we don't pay like off a percentage of a show if we don't sell enough tickets we're still paying the comics the same amount like that yeah. we had said so it's, it's a flat fee and it, and it ranges and sometimes you'll need to ask like comics like if somebody says no to doing a show you can always be like oh like you know, is it, is it a money thing? And like, you know, how much would make it worth your while to come from DC to Atlanta to do three shows. And then you can talk to other shows, see if they'll help pitch in to bring somebody into town. Um, so I think that that's a good thing to think about, but yeah, flat, flat fee, um, for each comic. Nice. And, um, mid asked about the lighting, if the venue doesn't have it, but you mentioned you use the Godox LED spotlight, you said? Yeah, the I will say the Home Depot spotlights are, are they do work. They're just not ideal. Yeah. Um, and then you can get some really like lightweight Amazon basic light stands, which you can clamp them to. Sometimes you need to use duct tape uh, to like tape it down <laughs> and stuff. It's really funny. It looks pretty janky, which is why part of the reason we've, we've switched um, to just upgrade, but the Godox lights are pretty good. I've seen people get these ones that are like led, like square panels that seem to work well. Some people have said that I, I don't, I don't know how much those are, but I think like you jump from like 
$8, $10 for the clamp lights to like a couple hundred dollars for more legit lights. So yeah. just, you know, whatever you can make work to start, just start there. Yeah. And like gradually reinvest, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, first off, how many people are on your email list now? Yeah. We're up to like 40,000 people. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So on like the, the marketing automation side, it sounds like, and this is something Mitt brought up, like what, what systems are you using to like automate a lot of the marketing and like, what are the estimated costs of that? Um, for MailChimp, it's based on the subscribers that you have. There's other services. I don't think MailChimp's necessarily the best. Um, it, it's worked for us. It's what we started using in the beginning. Um, and we act, we do like create an email template because we're doing shows in so many cities. We have a specific template we use and then we'll adjust it for each show and drop in the links. It's still a manual process for us of, of like writing those emails every week. And I will say, especially if you're doing a, a couple shows, like to start, like try and make the emails, like give them some personality and like make it feel personal. Like, you know, people get enough emails during the day. Like I always, I've been waking up. I think I unsubscribe to these things, but they, they keep coming back for me. Like I, I get 10 <laughs> emails a day, just like garbage. And so <laughs> black Friday was ridiculous. Oh my God. I was drowning. Like, <laughs> I think they just like, fuck it. We'll just like everyone who uns unsubscribed, we'll put them back on for like the one day. <laughs> it's like, goddamn, they will get you. <laughs> um but yeah the i think i think it is important to like personalize things you know give it a little bit of personality and it's the same mindset that i was talking about with instagram when people scroll through their feed you want them to see a post and be like excited to kind of like check check out what it, what's going on if it's a clip or even just a picture um with an email you build that trust with your with your audience that you're not going to like spam them. So for us, like we send out, we only send out an email. We send them out city by city. So we have a Boston email list. We, we know there's a couple thousand people in Boston that are on this specific list. We send them an email only when we have a show that weekend. So they're maybe receiving, well, Boston, we do shows every, usually every week. So there, there may be one a week in Boston, but in Milwaukee, you know, we do shows once a month. We're probably just sending them once, once a month so when they get it they know there's going to be an event going on we're not sending them six six different emails throughout the month where they just kind of get exhausted um and lose interest mm -hmm. and so our open rate ends up being like 40 percent or 50 percent on on some of these emails um because i think we we do a pretty good job of like knowing the proper cadence beautiful well this has been um yeah, this has been gold here. I appreciate you so much for taking the time, Kyle. I mean, is there any uh, closing um, advice or any insights you wanna you wanna share with us here? Um, no, I think uh, just like the best way of learning anything like that I've experienced, which is producing shows or even the video content, is by like it's very very cliche, but like just just doing it. And it's the same thing with stand up. Stand up's like a microcosm for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you just keep doing it and you will get better as long as you're being intentional about the way that you're approaching whatever you're doing um, and learning. So uh, that's been helpful for me personally, um, you know, and you will fail a lot and it's fine. And it feels like, it feels like crap, but you know, you'll, you'll learn something and you can keep progressing. 
Um, if anybody has any questions, like you can feel free to DM me on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I think I like, rather than even just like advice is great and stuff, but if, if you just do it, then you'll figure it out like on your own. Yeah. Just focusing on like the experience of the show and kind of just letting it grow from the, it's, you come from, and I've interviewed over 400 like comedians and people in the industry like you. And it seems like people that are excelling have like the purest intentions behind what they're doing. It's like, you're not in this for like some sort of competitive or like bitter revenge against like comedy clubs or whatever. It's like, you're really wanting to just empower comedians, you know, and um, really give them an opportunity to create their own independent success. So I feel like people that go into any sort of endeavor with like those side of those kind of positive intentions seem to be what will reap the reward and make all the work and like failing along the way worth it. Yeah. It makes it more worth it. It makes it more, more like meaningful. And then, yeah, it like, I don't know. I constantly feel like I've had a couple cups of coffee. Cause I'm just, I'm always, fi I'm fired up. Even more fired up now than I was like five years ago. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it truly, it truly is. And I, I agree with you on like intentions around just like yeah like doing doing really good things that like actually are meaningful and create value it's just a in my opinion a better way to like live than like trying to take advantage of people so you know there's people in the comedy world doing good stuff and and we want to be on, on that side of things and, and help like move the needle and, and empowering like comics um who are doing the work boom well where, where can people like keep up with don't tell or you and all that fun jazz yeah, I subscribe to our email list. <laughs> 40,000. So yeah, cool. no, you, you can get on the email list uh, to find out about Don't Tell stuff in your city, and occasionally we'll send one out to the whole list about like updates about the productions we're doing and whatnot. Um, and then my Instagram's I think Kyle, K-A, with a couple underscores after that. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, man. There it is, Hot breath of verse. My biggest hope with this episode for you to take away is just the amount of work and diligence it requires to produce a successful show. I know I've been doing comedy over 12 years. I've produced several shows of my own, both booked and open mics. And if you want to make a great show, you have to put in a great amount of effort. And for you, that may mean co-producing a show. Since doing the shows that I discussed on this episode, I've actually outsourced a lot of the booking and the marketing and just focused on what I enjoy, which is the hosting and performing and creating that environment for people to want to come back. So whatever that is for you, don't feel like you need to do these shows on your own. And if you do want to learn more about show production, I do have my own show production masterclass linked in the description of this episode. All the things I had to learn the hard way, I put into this masterclass to help you get your show going and start getting you paid faster. So if that sounds like something that would help you out on your comedy grind, just click the link in the description of this episode. And I hope to see you there. And I will see you right here next Monday, only on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.